Reporting from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations, this is the Cyber Risk Report. The Cyber Risk Report is a strategic intelligence product created by Cisco analysts that highlights current security issues in mid- to long-range perspectives. The report addresses seven major risk management categories, including vulnerability, physical, legal, trust, identity, human, and geopolitical. This report covers the time period of October 29th through November 4th, 2012. Vulnerability activity levels remained lower than previous periods. Activity levels during this time and during the month of October continue to decrease in comparison to previous months, which is consistent with previous years. Activity levels normally decrease during the time leading into the months of November and December, although for 2012, the activity levels have increased 20% compared to 2011, uh, with the 2012 activity level now passing the activity for the entire year of 2011. Cisco released two security advisories for a Cisco Prime Data Center Network Manager Remote Command Execution Vulnerability and for multiple vulnerabilities in Cisco Unified Meeting Place Web Conferencing. Cisco also released an update to a security advisory for SNMP version 3 authentication vulnerabilities, which was originally released in June of 2008. This update added the Cisco 8472DVB set-top box to the impacted products list. Citrix released an advisory for a Zen Server Hypervisor Privilege Escalation Vulnerability, while HP released advisories for multiple vulnerabilities in the Intelligent Management Center UAM Sprint F and Operations Agent. Oracle released an advisory for a Hyperion Strategic Finance Formula 1 ActiveX Control Vulnerability, and Mozilla released multiple vulner- uh, advisories and updated software for Firefox, Thunderbird, and SeaMonkey vulnerabilities. A researcher continues to release previously unknown vulnerabilities in Microsoft Office Publisher, Windows Paint, Help Viewer, and Internet Explorer. The majority of these Microsoft vulnerabilities are denial-of-service vulnerabilities, and proof-of-concept code is available. In spam and phishing activity, IntelliShield threat outbreak alerts reported increased activity around fraudulent online orders, advanced payments, and invoice spam, which could be targeting online consumers during the holiday season. At this time, there's been a limited amount of spam activity associated with Hurricane Sandy. Normally, these major events trigger spam and phishing activity, exploiting news reports, updates, and donations to charities. While spam activity has been limited, users are advised to expect it and not to use any links provided in these types of emails. And Trend Micro released a thorough and in-depth update on the Russian underground criminal activity this week. IntelliShield published 86 events last week, 48 new events, and 38 updated events. These alerts are available via the IntelliShield Alert Manager service. Visit www.cisco.com slash go slash IntelliShield for more information. Moving on to the physical risk management category. There are multiple resources available from local and federal government agencies to communicate information to those in the Hurricane Sandy impacted areas. One private resource that aids in pulling all this information together is the Google Crisis Map. The map displays data that's available through Google services in a single interactive map. The map has several options for displaying various types of information for the area, such as damage reports and gas locations and inventory, volunteer operations, power outages, shelters, recovery centers, and more. 
The maps assembled and maintained by the Google Crisis Response Team. Throughout the storm, and now in its recovery period, access to accurate and timely information remains critical for those impacted. Most communications in the area remained operational, although power outages limited end-users' access to the information. As with previous severe storms, the Internet and cell services remained largely operational and became the primary source of information for many. This is primarily due to the high resiliency and adaptability of these services that allow the operators to bypass or reroute around damaged sites. For those in the area, and for future planning of severe storms, these are often the most available, timely, and reliable sources for disaster information and communications. And next in the legal risk management category... The United States cell phone carriers have enabled databases to identify stolen cell phones and block services to those phones. After lengthy discussions on the various legal, privacy, and physical aspects of enabling the service, the U.S. cell carriers agreed to a plan that, for how the databases would be operated. The carriers will initially operate two databases used by different carriers that will be merged later to become a single source used by all carriers. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission and law enforcement agencies have been promoting the plan as a way to mitigate the increasing theft of cell and smartphones. The critical capability of the service offered is to track the phones by the unique International Mobile Equipment Identification Number on the phone hardware itself, not the subscriber identity module card that can be changed. While this seems like a service that benefits everyone except the criminals, the ability of the carriers to provide the service resulted in several technical and legal issues that had to be resolved. One of the debates was, again, placing a law enforcement requirement on a service provider, similar to the discussions of Internet service providers monitoring and blocking illegal copyright activity. While the ISPs are clearly in the best position to provide this service, is it something they should be doing and now are required to do? Expanding requirements on service providers increases workload, costs, and complexity. As with most of these situations, the decision makers have to consider the trade-offs of negative impact to the business, services, and customers versus the value of adding the service. With the increasing theft and violent assaults involving these devices, accounting for nearly 40% of thefts in major cities, the decision was determined to weigh on the value-added side. And this week in the trust risk management category. The government of South Carolina remains under scrutiny following the compromise of records and data from their Department of Revenue, reportedly exposing the records of 3.6 million people. A recent update on the compromise is that businesses also had their tax information compromised. Furthering the scrutiny was the statement released by the governor that, uh, that the state was following and complying with industry requirements while not encrypting much of the data. It appears that a compromise of an employee account led to the data exposure. The governor's statement set off a flurry of media reports quoting security organizations and experts on the need to encrypt this sensitive data, but also countering the presented arguments about the difficulty, complexity, and cost of encryption. It appears, although the investigation continues, that encryption was not the real issue, nor would it have prevented the compromise. If the data exposure was initiated using a compromised employee account, the authorized account would have likely been able to access the decrypted data or decrypt the data, making the encryption argument moot. 
Analysts agree that the data should be encrypted, but also agree that the monitoring of the network, databases, and user activity are also key to detecting and applying security controls to compromised uh, to prevent compromises. Encryption is critical to protecting data at rest and in motion, but it's not the security be-all, end-all that many mistakenly believe it to be. And next, in the identity risk management category... A new report from the Georgian National Computer Emergency Response Team reveals that as part of an investigation into attacks on their country's national infrastructure, the team used social engineering techniques to convince an attacker to download and open malicious files. This offensive security operation allowed the Georgia CERT to gain control over the attacker's computer, who they believe was involved in attacks on their critical systems. Georgia CERT uh, with control over the attacker's system, was able to gain information about the attacker and the bot network under the attacker's control, as well as take pictures of the attacker using the system's web camera. Increasingly discussed in the security industry and governments across the globe, offensive security operations go beyond the typical detection and prevention a- uh, actions and attempt to use attack methods against would-be hackers. Offensive security has the allure of taking direct action and turning the tables on an attacker. However, from a practical standpoint, counterattacks may not aid in network defense or allow for legal action against identified attackers. Additionally, counterattacks against malicious attackers likely have legal ramifications for the organization conducting the attack, making offensive security a high-risk undertaking. And this week in the geopolitical risk management category, a Greek journalist has been acquitted of charges that he violated Greece's data protection laws by publishing a list of Swiss bank account holders, including powerful Greek politicians and business people. The list of 2,000 names is being called the Lagarde List because it was provided by the Greek government by then-French finance minister Christine Lagarde in 2010. Although holding Swiss bank accounts is legal, the numbered accounts are sometimes used to conceal wealth that would otherwise be taxed. In light of the revelations, austerity-stressed Greek citizens are pressing the government to explain why no action was taken, given the likely unpaid tax revenues it could yield. The journalist, who was given the list by what he calls a reliable source, defends his action by saying that publishing the confidential list was in the public interest. This incident is part of a trend toward vigilantism in the name of free speech and transparency, supported by the free-for-all of internet speech and social media. It has the markings of a dysfunctional global conversation that demands, on the one hand, personal privacy, and on the other, full transparency. In this utopian world, truth will come to light when it benefits the public, but not when it reveals personal vulnerabilities. Information and content will be free, but entrepreneurs will be supported, will be simultaneously secure and free. This is the backdrop against which data protection laws and cybersecurity policies are being drafted. It's of little wonder that we may feel conflicted at times, and the right answer to whether conscientious objectors or enlightened attention seekers, such as this Greek journalist, should be prosecuted remains elusive. For now, public pressure appears to have forced the Greek government to drop charges, something which may serve to encourage others to act when they have information they personally believe should be aired for the public good. And also this week, Nuclear Exploit Pack 2.0, which is a professional exploit pack, was recently updated. 
Version 1.0 provided some protection against automated exploit harvesting by requiring an on-mouse move event that defeated simple crawlers looking to gain knowledge of the exploits in use. Version 2 doesn't appear to extend the anti-researcher functionality or increase exploit covered, coverage. Instead, the Terms of Service for Nuclear Exploit Pack, in, in essence, forbids most activities bot masters would use to monetize the framework, such as violating the laws of the Russian Federation and acquiring traffic through spam. Does the group behind the Nuclear Exploit Kit actually believe the miscreants will follow the Terms of Service? Do they extend some inherent trust in their customer segment that most people would not? We suspect that it's an attempt to provide some legal cover should the need ever arise. Perhaps the developers don't feel the same safety that they once did, and this could be telling, but there are no guarantees. While the terms of service are interesting and may generate some publicity, the nuclear exploit uh, kit doesn't appear to provide functionality or exploit coverage above and beyond competing kits such as Black Hole Exploit Kit. This concludes the Cyber Risk Report for this week. To read the full report, visit www.cisco.com slash go slash SIO and select the Cyber Risk Reports link. Tune in for next week's report from Cisco Security Intelligence Operations. Thanks for listening and stay safe.